This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I am joined on this beautiful Friday early afternoon by the great Brandon Huffman. Brandon, how are you? I'm better than you, Dave, because you have to go to El Paso, don't you? I'm not going to El Paso. You've already done your one-time life sentence of having to go cover the Sun Bowl. So here's the thing about the Sun Bowl, and I'm glad you brought this up, Brandon. Uh... I didn't mind being in El Paso. You know what I didn't like nearly as much? Getting Spending caught a- in a prison in Ciudad Juarez? <laughs> Spending a week in San Antonio. Now, that was not fun for me. I but El Paso, every- here's, here's the thing about the Sun Bowl. It is the biggest show in town all year in El Paso. Like, they are so happy that you are there. They absolutely, like, roll out the red carpet for you, or whatever passes for a red carpet in El Paso. And by that I mean, um, this was back in, what, 2013? Was that when they did the Sun Bowl? 2013 season, yep. So I was then, uh, I was a 26-year-old. No, no, I'm bad at math. I was 28. Um, I was still in, like, the latter stages of being, like, a, you know, a young person. And so by rolling out the red carpet, what I mean is that their media hospitality room was open all night, (laughs) and it was all free alcohol. And it was incredible. Just absolutely awesome. But you do Um, not remember the memories that you and I made as we podcasted on the Riverwalk (laughs) one year later, right before Jim uh, Jim Mora melted down on a former (laughs) colleague in the media because of Bill Snyder. Oh, gosh. How does that memory not top El Paso? I mean, San Antonio was fun, and we also had that nice dinner on the Riverwalk. I remember doing yes. that. Uh, there was a lot. Of, there was there were some good things, um, but it was it was a little over long. And again, the media hospitality was just not at the same level. Can we at least just concede that you know the Big Ten is going to have way better bowl affiliations, so you don't have to go to parts of Texas that you know Pac-12 schools don't really want to go to. Let's look this up really right now because I want to see what the Bull Ten, the Big Ten Bull affiliations actually are. Because people say this all the time, and then I really wonder if it's true. Okay, so the Big Ten Bull partners. We're going to go through this right now because what else are we going to do? Mm-hmm. There's the Quick Lane Bowl, which is in Detroit in December. Beautiful. Which sounds horrible. Speak, speaking of Jim Moore, he will be spending <laughs> a week there in beautiful Detroit. There's the beautiful Guaranteed Rate Bowl. Who can forget the Guaranteed Rate mm-hmm. Bowl, uh, which is in Phoenix on December 27th. So that's, is that the same one that it used to be? Was the it? Cat, 
Yeah. It's been the Cheez-It Bowl, the Cactus Bowl, the yeah, Emerald. So, no, maybe. I don't know. It's been like 500 It games. used to be Pac-12. All right. Yes. Then there's the Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl in New York. In, in the Bronx. Bronx, baby. New York City. Yankee Stadium. So I guess that's okay. Then there's the Duke's Mayo Bowl in Charlotte. In, you win uh, that, you get dunked with Mayo. So that maybe that isn't necessarily. Although I hear Charlotte's wonderful this time of year. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Uh, and then there's the Transperfect Music City Bowl in Tennessee, in Nashville. Said, I will be in Nashville in two weeks for signing day. That is actually, Nashville's pretty legit. Yeah, and that's New Year's Eve. Then there is the Relia Quest Bowl, which is in Tampa. The former uh, Outback Bowl. That was the Outback Bowl forever, played inside the Tampa Bay Bucks Stadium. So I guess what we're really doing by going to the Big Ten is we're trading all the Texas crap for Florida. Because yes. then there's the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, which is uh, in Orlando. And obviously the Orange Bowl, which is in Miami. Uh, and then... Uh, and then... Yeah, the obviously rest the of Rose Bowl for Obviously the, the Rose Bowl. We'll see what happens there. But okay. So I think the main difference, so you're still getting some crap and you don't have Vegas, which is a big problem for me. Um, Because you're still getting Detroit. You're still getting stuck with Detroit and Phoenix and, frankly, the Bronx. But you get to go to some southern locales that are different from Texas. But, frankly, I don't see a major difference here in location. I think the fundamental difference is you're getting better opponents most of the time. Yes, and you're better games, like better, like you said, better opponents. There's not the trap of playing the Mountain West champion, and you're also not having to play like the ninth place team from the ACC, which is already knee deep into basketball season. Yeah, I mean the Pinstripe Bowl and Duke's Mayo Bowl are both against the ACC, but I think it's upper level ACC. Um, Yeah, you you just here's the thing: you just don't want to run into Pitt in a bowl game. You just don't. What's what? Where's the excitement in playing Pitt? There's none. Although, hey, you know what? UCLA doesn't have to worry about Keaton Slovis throwing a touchdown pass with like 15 seconds left, and then have their cornerback go <laughs> in the transfer portal a week after that. This time, <laughs> you're not carrying any carrying any trauma. Nothing. No, I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to you know give storylines. That's some a color little to a the little broadcast. for instance, a little yes. for instance. Um, okay, well, all right. So uh, that's a that's a little. A little digression, as we say here in... But it's relevant. I, I, I would is. speak to its relevance because I would imagine... You know, Dave, you and I both covered the Alamo Bowl in 2015 after the 14th season. I think with you and I in attendance, we upped people that had an affiliation to UCLA in the crowd from maybe 97 to almost 99 people there. Yeah, I think we doubled it, actually, just the two of us. I, you might be right. Yeah. Um, no, it was uh, you, me, and then Brett Hundley's dad, and then maybe <laughs> like uh, uh, his sister, and that was it. <laughs> um, so yeah, oh no, and Paul Perkins' dad, who's oh, huge, yeah. huge man, Bruce Perkins. Um, Bruce Perkins, is that a name? It sounds right. Yeah, I think that's right. Huge man. Um, okay, here we are, uh, ten minutes into this show, and we've talked about some other stuff. Uh, w- this is a big, Brandon. A big recruiting weekend for UCLA football, and I would say this entire period is—it's uh, gotten—it's a little bit crazy. So, mm-hmm. uh, just to set the stage for everyone, the transfer portal opened on Monday. There was already some pre-movement. Um, some players didn't get the memo and were announcing that they were entering the transfer portal like uh, well before they should have been announcing it. Um, 
But uh, and there were some grad transfers who went in, obviously, because they were eligible. But then uh, on Monday, the floodgates opened. Um, UCLA already made contact with a bunch of people. Um, and one of them, uh, cornerback, uh, one of the top players in the portal, uh, Virginia quarterback Central Cyprus, uh, is coming in on an official visit this weekend um, to UCLA. And if you um, if you were paying attention to UCLA's football team this year, one of their major issues, Brandon, was cornerback. Mm-hmm. Um so this is one of those areas where, yeah, you could address it in high school recruiting, but it's one of those areas where you really would prefer to get an impact transfer, and this is who you know Cyprus potentially is. Um, what's your feeling on this recruitment and this whole situation with uh, one of the top corners in the uh, transfer portal? Well, obviously getting him to come in on a visit that quickly after he went into the portal tells you that this is probably going to be a relatively expedited recruitment. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to drag this out until the spring or the summer. It sounds like, you know, he wants to make things happen ASAP, get on campus, get to playing. And, you know, UCLA has the opportunity this weekend. What what helps is the fact that next weekend is the last weekend of official visits. What hurts is the fact that Cypress could probably take a couple more in the middle of the week and then there is a small window i believe in the first week in january that while it's still the ncaa dead period transfers are allowed to take official visits so depending on when cyprus wants to have this thing wrapped up ucla at least is getting the advantage of getting that first visit from him uh, but because he is likely going to be hotly pursued they may have to sit there and wait and they had the first shot but they got to wait for all these other schools to have their shot yeah and that's um it's it's I, I so I've been kind of impressed with um, a, a level of activity from because it sounds like Chip Kelly has actually been um, doing a, a a fair bit of this himself. Um, you know, he obviously uh, Biggins reported that he had been the one to personally reach out to. Uh, how are we pronouncing his last name now? DJ. Uyangalele. Yeah. So there was a time when it was like Ungalele. Mm-hmm. But that got switched. I like uh, DJU. Yeah, DJU. But like the way I'd always understood it um, with the Polynesian names is you just pronounce everything. Mm-hmm. So I would go Uyagalele, right? That sounds right. I mean, that's what I – you. I always did it phonetically by how I spelled it because it was Uyagalele. So Uyagalele. Yeah. But then, uh, then – but, but I'm then the only one in America that knew how to pronounce JT Tuimoloa. So, you know, I'm built different. You are just built different. Um, but it sounds like Chip Kelly's been doing a little bit uh, himself, but also that UCLA has just been, um, you know, uh, and not unexpectedly uh, pretty active in the portal. What's your sense of, like, their, um, I don't know, activity on the trail right now? You know, it's interesting because I've had this question from a couple of different sites on the 24-7 Sports Network. Hey, who are our coaches reaching out to in transfer recruiting? And transfer recruiting is so much more deliberate and stealth than high school recruiting. You know, there's a reason a lot of these guys go into the portal, and it's more of a business decision this time rather than, hey, you know, I want to go where the schools are following me on Twitter the most or Instagram love is the is the highest. Guys are, are kind of working a little bit more in silence, the recruits and the coaches. The coaches don't want, especially if it's an FCS recruit or if it's a group of five recruit, a power five school doesn't want anybody to know that they're doing well with them. So, you know, you're not seeing a lot of offers posted. Now you're seeing it with the FCS guys. A lot of these FCS guys 
didn't get to go to the, to the recruiting process in high school. So they're giddy to show all the tweets that, that or all the, the offers that they're getting from the Power Five. But a lot of the Power Five guys tend to move a lot more in silence. And then, bam, you know, the school announces that they've committed. So we're not seeing as much activity on the social media side of things with UCLA with a, a number of schools. But there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, a lot of stuff going on off the grid that tells you that UCLA is being just as aggressive this year, if not more so, than they've been in the last few years. So I don't think a lack of activity on Twitter means that there, there's not a lot of action. I think there's a lot of action going on, but I think a lot of schools have kind of taken to kind of an omerta code of just keep your mouth shut. We want to kind of get this done behind wraps. Yeah, and you know you can kind of sense that if you're like kind of casually following this, um, you're not seeing um, guys reporting their own offers uh, in the transfer market. Like it's it's a, it's few and far between. And actually, one of them it's probably you know <laughs> the coldest is probably not a legitimate <laughs> offer. Um, but chilling, really. Yeah, just chilling, man. Uh, but like uh, you're not seeing it as much because I think. A lot of these guys, they've already been through it once, and some of them, yeah, they liked the process and they want to go through it again, but I, I can't shake how many guys at the end of the recruiting process were like, that was exhausting mm-hmm. uh, when they're done with high school recruiting. So I can imagine for a lot of these dudes, especially like, I don't know, like a Justin Flo type, for example, who had a heavy recruitment in high school. Like, is he really going to want to do, like, the whole, like, round of interviews, you know, tweeting out every offer, getting another call from a team site, the whole thing? I doubt it. I doubt I do. that's something he's interested in doing. Yeah, I, I do. I agree with you. I think guys don't want to necessarily add more than they already need to. They Again, like I said, this is a business decision. Now, not to say that the first time recruiting out of high school isn't a business decision, but there's a lot more focus on the important stuff of football this time around instead of all, you know, and in the day and age where guys are making decisions for schools based on NIL more than NFL opportunities, but it's like, where can I get that bag earlier and, and, you know, heavier the second time around with the portal? It's like, dude, I just need to go where I can play, where I can get on the field, where I can make a difference so I can have that opportunity to get on the field and show what I can do so I can play at the next level. And I just think you're seeing way less activity. It's almost like these guys have learned their lesson. Maybe they went to the portal because, you know, they, they kind of treated the recruiting process like a, a game when they were in high school and now they realize they've been humbled. They're not the player that they once were. They weren't, they aren't the prospect that they once were. And maybe it's humiliating when you're an elite four star, five star guy that was recruited by everybody that the second time through all of your offers are, you know, relatively unremarkable schools. So you're also trying to, you know, kind of protect your ego by not tweeting, Oh, you know, I had offers from Alabama, Georgia and LSU. And now I'm being recruited by South Alabama, Georgia Southern and Louisiana Monroe. Yeah, and, you know, there's there's some guys that, you know, you might see something like that. I mean, like, for example, DJU has had a – I mean, how would you describe his time at Clemson? I would say his first year was probably his best, um, but been a relatively uninspiring uh, three years um, with the Tigers. And, you know, this was one of the – what was he? Was he number one in his class or was he, he top five? He was number two. Bryce ended up – Bryce ended up the number one overall player in that class. DJ was number two. CJ Stroud was number three. And I think that's what kind of accentuates what DJ has done. I mean, if you look at it in a, in a vacuum, you know, it, it's not as bad of a career as a lot of college quarterbacks have had. No, it's it's just re- re- relative to the hype. It, it is, and when you you know you compare what CJ Stroud has done, what Bryce Young has done, both you know Bryce won a Heisman, CJ was the front runner until the Michigan loss, 
And then you also look at his predecessors at Clemson, you know, most notably Trevor Lawrence, who, you know, won a national championship as a true freshman. I, I, but you also look back and you mentioned it. You know, he was at his best his first year where the coaching situation was much more stable. The receiver room he had during that 2020 season was much more stable. Georgia, in that first game last year when they played in the opening week uh, against Clemson, Georgia, I think, completely changed the complexion of Clemson football in that game. And it, it, it really... You can see it rattled DJ because he looked good against Boston College his freshman year. He looked good against Notre Dame, even though they lost in double overtime. Then that Georgia game can't, uh, happened last year with a generational defense, but it never seemed like DJ got back on track during that season. Then this year he comes out, has that first game where things aren't going great against Georgia Tech. But then he has the Wake Forest game where they go on the road and they win and he leads them to this late victory. And it's like, okay, is he turning the corner? Then they have the South Carolina game. Then he gets benched in the ACC championship game. It's clear it's Kate Klubnik's season. The talent is there. The talent is with DJ. It's the shoulders up that is going to take some rehabilitating. Yeah, that, and that makes sense. And, you know, if you can see some signs. The, the thing for me, and uh, just looking at what UCLA, obviously Dorian Thompson-Robinson's going. Um, taking a look at the quarterback depth chart, I think my general sense of it is Ethan Garbers will probably be fine. I don't think he's going to be close to what Dorian was the last two years, but I think he'd be fine. But I also think it's worthwhile for UCLA to kick the tires on a variety of upgrades uh, because getting in somebody who can um, play at minimum at the level that Dorian did this past year uh, would obviously, I think would be better than what they're going to get out of Ethan Garbers next year and his first mm -hmm. year starting. Um, and my question is like, whether I, you know, could, could DJ do that? Like, is he capable of doing that um, and being at the level that Dorian was? And I think there's certainly enough reason to think he might. I just don't know if it's worth the risk um, because if you bring him in, you're, he's a guy who has two more years of eligibility. So you're, if you bring him in as a you know potential, like you're coming in to start, you're foreclosing on Ethan Garber's basic career, uh, remaining career at UCLA, and also probably giving Justin Martin a lot to think about, and is DJU worth that? Um, right. And that's, that's kind of a question for me. Um, and that's not even to say that, you know, they might not even end up serious about him. Uh, that's just, you know, one of the guys that they have uh, reached out to. Um. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So, all right. So uh, transfer uh, recruiting is pretty hot and heavy. Um, and there's a lot of it going on behind the scenes. Um, but, you know, they've reached out to 
former five stars, you know, Justin Flo, obviously, uh, Biggins reported uh, there's going to be probably some serious interest there. Um, you know, DJU, obviously, they've been in contact with Fentrell Cyprus, the, one of the top transfers on the market. Um, there's some big high school recruiting news, Brandon. Decently sized news, maybe of the seismic size. Um, it is now out that Dante Moore is expected to take an official visit to UCLA this weekend. Um, now, while people might guffaw and chortle and, you know, chuckle, laugh at UCLA's efforts with Dante Moore, and for good reason, he's the number two player in the country. He's the number two quarterback in the country. Some might think he's the number one player and quarterback in the country. But this isn't like a completely out of the blue recruitment. UCLA has been recruiting Dante Moore for, you know, the better part of almost two years. I think he was the second quarterback that UCLA offered in the 2020-23 class. Nico Yamaliava was the first quarterback that they offered. Then they offered um, Dante Moore. Eventually they offered Jaden Rashada before finally offering Luke Duncan, who incidentally will also be on his official visit (laughs) to UCLA this weekend. Uh, I believe the phrase, if I uh, remember when my children used to watch uh, bubble guppies is awkward. <laughs> bubble guppies. Line up, everybody. Line up. I've line outgrown up, that stage, or my my children have at least. I've got I've got so much of bubble guppies just in the recesses of my brain. Mm-hmm. So many. Um, yeah. So okay, Dante Moore. Um, let's talk about this because first of all, I want to just take everyone. Uh, it's insane that UCLA got a visit here. Like, mm-hmm. so I just want to start there. Because not like not because like UCLA is not an option for guys like yeah, certainly if UCLA recruits hard they're gonna get you know the occasional really top tier player on campus for a visit because uh, it's UCLA it's what we always talk about the natural advantages UCLA actually leveraging its national natural advantages here under Chip Kelly is the insane part for me getting a five star quarterback uh, the number two player in the country the number two quarterback in the country on campus at this late date when he's already committed to another school. That feels big. Like, that feels... And especially in this NIL era. Because as you keep writing in all of your things about Luke Duncan, the attraction of Luke Duncan in a lot of ways was he wasn't that into NIL. And that was a necessary quality because UCLA wasn't really doing it. This, if you didn't already have Tracy's reporting about NIL and the kind of change for UCLA, this should tell you a little bit. Um it's uh, I won't say it's a whole new world, but shift, certainly a shift. It's a matter of now finishing the deal, you know, and, and with absolutely no pun intended whatsoever on that. It's one thing to say you've got some NIL scratch to work with. You've got a collective to work with. It's another thing to actually get the players to commit because here's another thing that we're seeing and we saw a lot in the spring not really with UCLA but we saw with a lot of the bigger schools across the country is there's this little tiny thing in NIL that's called leverage Dave and schools are leveraging their NIL deals with recruits and recruits are using that same leverage to get another school to either you know meet the demands or meet the offer or meet whatever the the potential NIL deals could be. And, you know, there was all the the, the hubbub that came out right after Jaden Rashada announced his commitment to Miami. You had lawyers going on and and yelling at each other on Twitter. You had all these articles. And so NIL absolutely 
is a factor with elite players and especially elite quarterbacks. But now it comes down to a potential of playing time. Because if the talk about Bo Nix returning for his senior year, or his, I guess this would be his super senior, no, it would be his fifth year. But regardless, Bo Nix has another year of college football he could play. So if he does return, even with the departure of Kenny Dillingham, if he returns to Oregon, now that path to the starting job, there, there's no way that Oregon's going to bench Bo Nix, who, you know, before he got hurt, had them on the cusp of potentially playing for a playoff. Dan Lanning is not going to turn that over and turn it over to a true freshman. But UCLA might have an opening at their core. Well, they will have an opening. So you've got Ethan Garbers. You have Justin Martin. Um, you have Luke Duncan already coming in, which I would imagine if another quarterback came in, that might be reevaluated. But now it's a matter is, does UCLA offer the playing time that Oregon might not be able to offer until 2024? And does that now weigh heavier than any NIL? So you have to have the NIL to even be competitive. But the playing time is still going to be a key asset and aspect of this recruitment yeah and you know i know ucla has been reluctant at times to promise playing time and promise uh position to a guy but if ever there was an opportunity to do so i think this would be it um because it's and you can get i'd love to hear your evaluation of dante Moore, but from what i've seen absolutely could step mm-hmm. in and out compete Ethan Garbers and Justin Martin for the starting job next year, uh, mm-hmm. even if he's not promised it. Um, but what's your sense of him as a player? Because what I see is like, obviously, he's not like the uber tier athlete or the uber tier arm strength, but just the complete package of um, accuracy, able to throw to all levels, um, headiness in the pocket, good enough mobility. Like, it just seems like he's a kind of a, a do everything pretty well guy. He is, I mean, there's a reason why it's been such a heated debate. I mean, you can say what you will about the Arch Manning recruitment, uh, the Arch Manning evaluations and ranking, but Dante Moore has probably been the guy that's made the biggest push to be the number one overall player in the country. That's how special and talented he is. You know, I was on a on a conference call earlier on Friday morning, you know, in preparation for the All-American Bowl. And, you know, he is a candidate for the National Player of the Year, the Offensive Player of the Year. He is, you know, widely considered the best quarterback to come out of Detroit in a number of years. And Detroit inter, uh, uh, Detroit High School football uh, is widely considered to be among the best of, you know, the major city football in the United States. He, Some people say he's the best player to come out of Detroit since Jerome Bettis to give you some context. And that was 30 plus years ago. So this is a transcendent type of quarterback, a transcendent type of player. He comes in with all of this attention. He comes in with the state championship rings to back it up with the, with the numbers, with the production. Like this would be, you know, UCLA got Jalen Phillips back in 2017. He was the number one player per the composite, but he was not the number one overall player on any website. He just ended up being the highest because he's most consistent. Like, Dante Moore is potentially the number one overall player in this class as a quarterback. And if you look at the last past few classes, the number one quarterback in 2021 is probably going to win the Heisman Trophy on Saturday. The number one quarterback in the class of 2020 won the Heisman Trophy last year is probably going to be a high overall pick. Trevor Lawrence was the number one player in the or 2018 class. The number one overall pick won a national championship. That's the kind of fraternity he could be joining. That's an elite football player, Dave. 
Yeah, and so I think for for UCLA fans, I think um, you got to hope UCLA is pitching this um, the right way, which is, as Brandon said, the the leverage that UCLA has here is the on field stuff because whatever you might think about UCLA's NIL potential, probably not matching Oregon's at this point. Maybe it gets there in some point in the future, but probably not. Um, but they might have a compelling enough pitch relative to Oregon on the field because Oregon has a new offensive coordinator. Um, and I think, so side note, I think Land Danning is doing an awesome job hiring guys. Um, and I think um, the offensive coordinator he hired is going to be very good because he already Dude, has been. Um, loved him at Kentucky when he was a basketball player there. <laughs> Willie um, Colley Stein, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think I think he's going to be good. Um, but it's an unknown for a quarterback and a guy who's you know probably intending on only playing what three years of college football. Mm-hmm. You, you want to know what you're getting into. Um, and Chip Kelly is a known quantity and mm-hmm. a known elite quantity who's going to produce an elite offense. Um, and if if Chip Kelly has a pitch, it's show Dorian Thompson Robinson's freshman year film and then show his fifth year senior film Mm -hmm. and show that to a a prospective quarterback and say, Hey, this is what I turned this guy who had played basically one year as a starter in high school. uh, I turned him into, what do you think I can do with you? Who has, I mean, Dante Moore has started what all four years, all four years, multiple state championships and built to play this position. Yeah, I think there's a really compelling pitch there. Whether it's enough to actually do it, I mean, I, I, I think we would still put it at pretty long odds. But um, there's at least a crack in the door uh, here, for and as evidenced by Dante Moore showing up on campus this weekend. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah. But ahead. but let's go back to the awkwardness that could potentially. Yes, I, I want to delve into this. Yeah, I mean, you've got a quarterback that essentially had the opportunity, and we're talking Luke Duncan here, you had a quarterback who had the opportunity to stay in his backyard and go play at Cal, had multiple opportunities to commit to Cal, waited, went to the UCLA camp at the beginning of June, then waited three weeks to throw in front of those coaches again, got the offer from UCLA, committed five days later. He stayed loyal despite schools coming to watch him throw, coming to watch him play this year. And now you bring Dante Moore in. It's one thing to bring Dante Moore and Luke Duncan in at separate times. But to have them both there on the same official visit weekend is definitely a little bit of a head scratcher. Um, you know, who's Ryan Gunderson going to give all his time and energy to? Who's Chip Kelly going to give all his time and his energy to? Do you, you know, it's, I mean, with a guy of the caliber of Dante Moore, you take his official visit whenever the hell he wants to visit. All right. If he wants to come on Christmas Day, if it was legal, you host him on Christmas Day. But this weekend, you got to make sure you're not turning off the guy who's kind of been your ride or die for six months for another guy that is probably still a long shot at best. And, you know, how, how does Luke Duncan feel in that situation? How does Dante Moore feel in that situation? How does Chip Kelly and Ryan Gunderson and Ethan Young, how do they massage all that together? That is going to be one of the most fascinating storylines from this weekend that I don't think we're going to be able to get a lot of insight on but it is certainly something to monitor because what you don't want to have is UCLA be in a situation where they get no quarterbacks out of this. Yeah, and I, I, my feeling on that, and you can – obviously a lot of it is interpersonal dynamics. I think for Luke Duncan, I mean, he still has 
some options. I don't know how many spots have filled at the schools that were recruiting him, but like if he wanted to go back to Cal, I don't think Cal says no. Um, but uh, I think it's going to depend on what happens this weekend. Like, and not from like a, you know, did they snub Luke Duncan? But is Dante more still interested after this weekend? Like, is he actually serious about UCLA or not? And that's the point at which. It could get dicey for UCLA because say Dante Moore comes out of this weekend and he's like, yeah, no, I'm really seriously thinking about you, but doesn't flip, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't actually make the decision to do it. And you're in a holding pattern. Well, then Luke Duncan's got to be sitting there also in a holding pattern because, okay, Dante Moore is sitting here saying, "Uh, well, you know, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. And so Luke Duncan's like, well, if he comes, do I want to sit? You know, because for Luke Duncan, it's like, okay, well, maybe Dante Moore is so good that he's gone in three years, but that's actually a pretty rare quarterback. Um, so he might be there four years. So I redshirt a year, but I'm only a class behind him then. How mm-hmm. much time am I actually going to play? Um, or am I just going in the portal after my first year when he beats me out, if he does? Um, and so it's just, there's a lot of complicated factors, but there is, with doing this, and this is, I'm not against Dante Moore coming in. I think they absolutely have to do it. They've got to give it a good shot, see if they can do it. But there is a risk associated with it. And that risk Absolutely. is you end up with zero quarterbacks heading into the early signing period. Yeah. I, I just think that does the risk outweigh the benefit? I mean, people are talking about UCLA right now on social media, which hasn't happened a lot in the recruiting front for the last four or five years. But uh, again, are they being used for leverage or is there a legitimate chance that they get Dante Moore? People are talking, people be speaking, people be saying stuff about UCLA on recruiting, you know, so can they close the deal on Dante Moore or do they just say, hey, you know what, we're riding and dying with Luke Duncan like he had with us for six months, but hey, this is why these coaches get paid the six and seven figures to handle these type of situations and to handle it the right way. Yeah, and uh, you know, this is this is where it gets a little tricky, but what I'll say is this, um, from like a spectator standpoint, this is a lot more fun. Uh, <laughs> when when UCLA is actually involved with um, some some potential top tier guys, um, you know, in the portal, whether or not in high school ranks, this is a lot more fun than like say I don't know three or four years ago when um, it was like you know picking apart the recruiting class for the Colorado School of Mines and, and hmm. trying to pull them in. That so, worked out great. Yeah, it sure did. Um, uh, and then let's touch on the commitments that happened. Uh, God, was that were they both this week? Heimlicher was uh, earlier, but he I think he went public. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. they, they got I think commitments. This is the end of the week. Yeah, they got commitments from Jake Heimlicher, um, the U Penn, is that right? Uh U Penn, yes. By way yeah, of Colorado. Yeah, U Penn Edge, um, and then um Oluwafemi, what's his last name? Uh Oladejo. Uh, Oladejo. Oladejo. We are going to call him like we did when he was in high school. He will Moses. always be Moses Oladejo to me. Yeah, so he's been a few different things. So just so everyone knows why I'm being like a little bit, oh, I don't know his name. He's been Femi, he's been Moses, he's been Oluwafemi. And there's also like, he's listed somewhere as F Moses or something. Um, mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot going on here. He was the Cal inside linebacker who had like 17 tackles in that game. Uh, he committed to UCLA basically. It was either the day he did enter the transfer portal or the next day. Um, but... Very quick um, move over to the Bruins. 
and they also picked up an edge. Uh, thoughts on either of these guys from what you've seen, what you remember them in high school, and what you've seen of them uh, from film or anything like that? i got to imagine that Heinlecker got choked up with the opportunity to return ah. to the West to play for UCLA after spending time ah. in Pennsylvania. Too everyone, pay, everyone got that one, right? You got yeah, it. I, I, got, yeah. I mean, if you didn't, then, you know, do the math, folks. Uh, with Moses Oladejo, this is a kid that I really liked coming out of the 2021 class. And like a lot of players in that class, you know, he did not have an evaluation period. He did not have a camp season and he didn't get to take any official visits. But he played almost the second he got to Berkeley. Uh, he was a late offer to by Cal and, you know, from Sacramento, comes from the same high school that produced a couple of former UCLA players like uh, Marcus Rios, Alex Van Dyke, uh, Nick Terry. They all played at Kasumnas Oaks. Um, but, you know, he got the offer from Cal decently late in the recruiting process and then committed to them about a month later. But at that time, he only had one Power 5 offer, and it was from Arizona, or one Pac-12 offer. So he jumped on the Cal offer. It was a local school. There was not an opportunity to really get out on the road. But he had made an immediate impact and started to play quite a bit. But this is a guy that I really do think that, you know, had there been a normal recruiting cycle in that 2021 class with the pandemic knocking everything out, might have had more offers. So Cal kind of got a steal with him. And now UCLA just goes and plucks him after, you know, 10 days after he tackled them 17 times. <laughs> Which is, you know, the way things should be. Cal should not, be a little bit of a joke program, right? Not to mention the record time of going into the portal to announcing his commitment. Yeah, that was incredible. He was super quick. I, I don't think he had any interest. This is one of those guys who I don't think had any interest in doing the recruiting process again. I don't think he... I mean, the funny thing is... So I actually talked to him uh, on Sunday, or on whatever day that was, Monday. And, you know, he wasn't a big media guy when he was in high school, like a lot of these guys are. And then I'm like, hey, you want to do a quick interview? He said, no, I'm not really into the media thing. I just want to play ball. I'm like, okay, nothing's really changed. And, hey, respect to that. <laughs> Gotta love it. Gotta love but it. But I'm sure uh, he's excited to be a Bruin UCLA fans. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, if, if you commit that quickly, you got to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so there's uh, obviously a bunch of movement in um, recruiting, and we're going to keep you abreast of everything as it happens or very quickly after it because, as you might imagine, some of this is secretive, and I don't think that we necessarily would have reported the Dante Moore thing if it hadn't come out from, you know, somebody who's not as tied into the UCLA community, um, you know, from Wilt Fong on the uh, Detroit end of things. Um, because these are things that, you know, UCLA probably prefer to keep under wraps sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, real G's move in silence, Dave, that is the truth. Um, so that's about the situation. Anything else that you want to touch on for recruiting right now, before we shift gears to the basketball to the hardwood as well? Yeah. I would imagine that next weekend, you know, one of the things that UCLA was quietly hoping would happen is that maybe not to go to El Paso during the holiday season, but to not have a bowl game last or next weekend, like Washington State and Oregon State will be having uh, when they play at the LA Bowl and the Las Vegas Bowl, respectively. With the discussion that potentially UCLA could be in the Las Vegas Bowl, it would have wiped out next weekend for official visits. And that would not have been up to UCLA's liking because they're hoping to host some more transfers next weekend. Uh, there's also the potential that four-star cornerback Caleb Presley uh, out of Rainier Beach High School in Seattle. Uh, Presley had UCLA in his top eight before he chose Oregon. Took an official visit to the hometown school last week at Washington, visiting Oregon this weekend. But Brian Norwood was in his house this week 
for an in-home visit and UCLA is trying to get him on campus. Uh, according to some sources close to his recruitment, there is a very good chance that he will take that last official visit weekend next weekend to take an official visit to UCLA. I still think UCLA would have some work to do to get past Oregon where he's been committed and Washington, but getting in home for the in-home visit this week certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah, and so just so just to give everyone some context, when he's talking about Caleb Presley, this is the number 127th player in the country, number 13 cornerback, best player in Washington, according to 247. Um, so that would be, again, a huge pickup at a position of major need. So that would be important if UCLA could pull that off, even getting him on campus at this late stage. Um, but it's, you know, again, just kind of a little bit of a different thing going on where they're actually um, attracting, you know, some late interest. And we'll see if any of it turns out from high four star, five star guys. Interesting. That's all I'm saying. We're here. That's what we're here for. We like, we like, we like interesting. We don't mm -hmm. like boring here at, uh, at, at bro. Um, all right. So that's that's a lot of uh, interesting good nuggets uh, for football recruiting. Um, basketball, basketball is a sport that UCLA plays as well. Uh, this week, UCLA wrapped up its opener slate of conference games. Uh, Stanford um, they beat on the road and then went home on Sunday and beat Oregon. Um, that was uh, that was Mick Cronin's first time beating Dana Altman at Oregon. Only took to your four. Yeah, only took to your four. And it took some doing, even with, like, a pretty depleted Oregon team. I just don't – there's a couple of coaches that just seem to have had a mixed number a little bit. Dana Altman's one, and then Andy Enfield until last year was the other. Uh, where it was just, yikes. Not so good every time they played. But good to get that monkey off the back. Um, UCLA now has uh, Denver on Saturday, tomorrow uh, at noon. And then goes on uh, the East Coast swing to travel to Maryland and then play Kentucky in uh, New York um, in a neutral site game. But, uh, you know, basketball's doing pretty well. They're playing basketball. Who, like, they played this weekend, like, what? It's the finals weekend thing where... They just got one game over like a 12-day stretch too, right? Where... Yeah, basically. So they, they will have played Sunday, December 4th, and then they play this weekend on Saturday, and then it's another game on the 14th. But, yeah, it's one game in a 10-day stretch. Um, but, but quite a gauntlet there with Maryland and Kentucky, you know, in consecutive games uh, before they get UC Davis to ease into the remainder of Pac-12 play. But... Yeah, you know, Dave, I'm not a big fan of this whole let's start Pac-12 play in the beginning of the month and then ignore it for, like, three weeks. Pause yeah, the conference. It's, I think it's a response to some scheduling issues um, for non-conference play, but I think the, the result is you end up with, like, teams that are half-ready, kind of injured, or, you know, still working through some kinks. Like, the UCLA product, I mean, obviously they came out of it 2-0, and but the UCLA product we saw in those games is going to look vastly different probably by a month from now. Um mm -hmm. I would imagine there's going to be more comfort at the five. Um, roles will be figured out a little bit better. So, you know, seeing this, like, early stretch, I mean, I guess it's good for, like, a, a little bit of, like, just, you know, temperature testing, like, who's who's going to be good, who's not. But as it stands, I don't think it's that important. And the problem is, for me, it also kind of forecloses the possibilities for some teams that 
look like they have potential. Like Colorado last night, for example, they blew out Colorado State, but they've taken two losses already in conference. Like they lost to Arizona State by a point, and they lost to Washington on the road by 10 points. If they don't have those and they have a couple of patsies, we're talking about, you know, seven and three Colorado that looks like a real legitimate NCAA tournament team. And now it's like, wow, they've got a lot of work to do. Um, and so it's just, I, I don't know, it's a timing thing. But I think, um, you know, Mick Cronin said it, I think, a couple years ago when they were first talking about this. Like, your team really isn't ready for conference action by early December. Like, you really do need kind of two months of buildup. And, it's one thing to play these big non-conference games because a lot of it is, you know, just talent alone and all that kind of stuff. But to get your systems down for like the rigor of conference play when all these teams are familiar with each other takes some time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's something they're just going to have to deal with for the next two years. And then, you know, I don't know what the Big Ten scheduling thing is, but I think they also play. I think they also play some conference games early now. Like I think Indiana. Yeah, Indiana just played Rutgers and Nebraska. Um so I think it's just kind of the name of the game now. Um, but anyway, I mean, UCLA, so as it stands, I think UCLA is still in really good position for a high seed in the NCAA tournament, um, even despite the uh, Illinois and Baylor losses for two reasons. One, Illinois and Baylor are both really good. Um, Baylor beat Gonzaga. Uh, Illinois um, Illinois just beat uh, Texas Tech, yeah, in overtime. overtime. So those two teams, like, your, your eye test wasn't uh, deceiving you. Those two teams are very good after they beat UCLA and Vegas. And UCLA has taken care of business in the other seven games by just smoking teams. Like, they're blowing everyone else out, and they lost two games, which is a good enough formula to rise pretty high in metric systems, and that's what matters now for NCAA tournament purposes. So um, they've got a couple of resume opportunities, obviously. Maryland is the 19th best team in the country, according to Ken Palm. Kentucky's number six. Um, so both really big resume opportunities. And I think it's probably important for UCLA to win at least one of those, uh, just to have something to point to. But as it stands, UCLA is still in pretty good shape. I think what's going to be really fun to watch is when Pac-12 plays begins and UCLA is greeted warmly on the road at some of those schools that are very upset with UCLA going to the Big Ten. And, oh, my gosh, Netherlands just scored in the 30, literally in 10 minutes of stoppage play, they scored at the 100-minute mark. Sorry, I got distracted there, but that was incredible. Um, Ooh. And I'm not even a big soccer guy, but, wow, rough day for uh, Argentina. They thought they had to game one. Um, but, yes, uh, I, I, it's one thing to go play football games on the road in these big cavernous stadiums. I was on the sideline at the UCLA-Oregon game uh, towards the end of the game, and I heard the Autzen faithful not too happy with UCLA's decision to leave, also not too happy with Chip Kelly. But basketball gets way louder and more uh, more angsty, so we'll be interested to see how UCLA does on the road. Uh, although that game at Stanford last week looked like a UCLA home game, far more UCLA fans, far more UCLA applause than Stanford had. Yeah, no, for sure. I think... Um... People always get a little surprised by it, but the Bay Area contingent of UCLA fans is, well, I think the, the reality is it's a little bit, um, I think a lot of young alumni end up there because their homes are up there, like where they originally started. So you get a different crowd than what's typically at Poly, um, and they're really excited because it's you know one of the two opportunities a year to go see a UCLA game up there. 
Um, so they're they're ready to bring the energy. But yeah, that first half when they went on kind of that insane run, that place was you know popping with UCLA fans. So um, yeah, I mean it's uh, they'll. I think there's still a lot to figure out. I mean, I think um, if you watched my practice video of this week, um, those out there, uh, you'll see Adem Bona. It's not just on the floor during games. Like, he's swimming in practice, um, which that's – it's kind of classic freshman stuff, but you, you don't necessarily expect it from five stars. Um, but that'll get worked out probably. I mean, that's got to be the hope at this point that he's going to get more comfortable um, because right now he's very clearly uncomfortable with a lot of what's being asked of him. Um, and, you know, he's, sh- he's shown enough throughout his prep career and then in the international stuff that there's a lot more there than what he's showing on the floor right now. Um, and then I think as Mac Etienne works further and further back from his knee injury, he's going to probably make, you know, bigger strides in terms of stealing more minutes from Kenneth Nwuba or Bona. Um, so they're probably going to get more effective play at the five going forward. And then the rest of it's just figuring out roles and responsibilities for Tiger, Jaime, Jalen Clark, so on and so forth. But all that should, um, you know, sort itself out in the long run, but it's got to sort itself out pretty quickly uh, because it's a month into the season now, uh, two big games coming next week. And then uh, conference play begins in earnest and the turn of the new year. So not a whole lot of time, but, Brandon, let's remember, this time last year, what was UCLA heading into? A COVID shutdown. Oh, yes, and everything kind of changed in a negative way once the uh, the Roner hit the basketball program. Yeah, so hopefully there's nothing like that this year. I think the policies must have changed because I, I don't even hear about teams, like, missing games anymore. Like, that doesn't seem like it's happening at all. I don't think we're going to lose any bowl games this year, in fact, including the one that UCLA didn't play in last year. I think it's you know pretty much been... <laughs> Non-existent. I mean, it was weird, like, even last year, that there were some games that were still getting knocked out with the resurgence in the football side of it. But this year, I mean, you, you hardly even hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a different different world now. Um, so, anyway, that's, that's about it from me. Brandon, do you have anything else? Do you have anything else you want to share with the people out there in the interwebs? I don't. I have nothing else to say to you, people, other than I will be spending a week in San Antonio without you, Dave. And That's sad. I do like San Antonio. It's a low-key good beer-drinking town. It is. It is. I think – so when I came, um, I came with uh, my then one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, which also kind of changed it a little bit because I couldn't go river walking as much. So that was a that was a, that was a bit of a – a bit of a wrinkle with uh, mm-hmm. my appreciation because San Antonio, I really enjoyed for the 2008 final four. Um, and I didn't enjoy it nearly as much in, in 2014. And I think, you know, probably because I wasn't nearly as drunk would be. Hey, if only, you know, Ben Hallen might've made some defensive changes. That San Antonio trip would have been even more epic. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. Sorry. Yeah. Much too soon. It's Sorry. never going to not be too soon. Brandon ever. It, need, it needs to be said. Yeah. Ben Howland back on campus on Sunday, getting appreciated oh, by the fans. You should, uh, how much water hey. was consumed in his visit? <laughs> Did his water bottle have to be in a very precise spot <laughs> on the table? Did it have to have a taped-out circle where he could put the water bottle? <laughs> Tell me. Tell me. Um, all right. Well, for Brandon Huffman, 
I am David Woods, Brown Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.